one thing we, we do know is that when we gather together to lift up that holy and beautiful name of Jesus and draw near to him with hungry hearts, the Lord hears us and draws near to us. As James 4 and 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you a familiar verse and a great promise. Praise God. What do you say? Shall we continue to draw near to the Lord tonight? Amen. Amen. You don't have to stand just yet, but if you want to get ready, we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. I give thanks to our pastor, Brother Johns, for the opportunity to speak tonight, and it's an honor to stand before all of you great people and minister. It's also a, a great surprise to see Brother and Sister Jury, our district superintendent for the state of Georgia. We're really, really thankful and glad that you're here, and, and uh, we want you to feel welcome tonight. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. In 1948, a missionary by the name of Jimmy Burns and his family went to the country of Ceylon, which would later become known as Sri Lanka. This man was a Scotsman from Canada who still had his distinctive Scottish accent and a bit of a sense of humor. Sri Lanka has been described as a land of idols. On practically every street, there are idols to Buddha, idols that connect with Hinduism and Catholic idols. The Buddhist and Hindu doctrines of reincarnation created some conflict for Brother Burns who started a tremendous work there in Pakistan. I'm sorry, Pakistan, in Sri Lanka. On one occasion, a large cobra entered the backyard of the house where he and his family lived. Brother Jimmy Burns was gonna do what most people would do. Uh, he was about to attempt to kill this large snake. And uh, he was gonna use a club to do it. And when his neighbor, a Buddhist, rushed into the yard, he started yelling at Brother Burns not to kill the snake. He said, that snake could be my grandmother. The Buddhist neighbor said reproachfully. Brother Jimmy quickly put down his club and turned to his neighbor and said, in my best Scottish accent, you tell your grandmother that if she ever comes back to my yard I'm again, I'm going to kill her. Praise God. There's nothing like the adventures that missionaries have while they're out sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. All right, so we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Praise God. Praise God. Now, this first sentence is one of those that you, gotta, you might have to read it a few times, and I'll slow down so we can work through it. But it says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. You got all that? That's a long sentence right there. 
to them, referring to those saints, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Praise God. So tonight, my simple thought will be on this idea, hope. And so for just a little bit, we're gonna be looking at the message of a missionary, which is a message of hope. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now over what God is gonna do for the rest of this evening. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we submit ourselves to you wholly and completely. Lord, that we might hear a word from you. I pray that you would grant revelation and understanding. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that scales would fall from the eyes of those who need to see. Lord God, I pray that you would unstop the ears of those that need to hear. And I pray in the name of Jesus that as your word goes forth, that there would be a great anointing, Lord Jesus, to strengthen and encourage and deliver and heal. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. You might find yourself getting involved in something that isn't right, and you have this idea in your head of what the end result is gonna look like. And the next thing you know, it has grown into something a whole lot more. And then if you add the consequences of that action as well, the outcome can hardly seem bearable. One of my favorite childhood stories that my father would tell us kids about his childhood was the only time he could ever remember getting spanked from his father. And I tell the story with permission. He explained to us that he enjoyed playing marbles. Now, for those of you who don't know how to play marbles, the idea is, is that, and I've only heard about it, I've maybe played it a couple of times, but basically you draw a circle in the dirt or whatever it is you're using to play on. The dirt's usually the best or sand or some smooth surface. And, and then you, you get a few players, maybe you know two or three, and everybody puts their marbles in the, in the center and, and the people... Uh, get on the outside of the ring and they begin to uh, try to knock those marbles out and you take turns and you go around and if you knock a marble out, you get to go again and, and you just see if you can uh, knock all the marbles out. And for every marble that you knock out, you get to keep that marble. And so, uh, so it can be a, an enjoyable game, especially if there's some really interesting marbles at play. And so uh, at that time, my dad enjoyed playing marbles as much as the next kid his age. The only problem is, is that sometimes you play a kid who is better than you, and he wins all of your marbles. And of course, you want to get better, and so you need some more marbles to play. Well, my dad was playing one such skilled young man, and things weren't going very well for him. 
And, uh, and so he needed some marbles, but he had a problem. He didn't have the money. And so my dad knew that his dad had some change from his pocket uh, up on the dresser in his bedroom. And so he began to hatch a plan uh, of how to get enough money to buy some more marbles. And so he, uh, he decided that he was going to, it was really ingenious actually, go into the room and then he was just gonna knock some of that change off of the, off of the dresser onto the floor that he could come back and then later retrieve. And so, you know, that was, seemed like a very good plan for him, and he uh, executed that plan, and, and it went off without a hitch, and he was back in business with another bag of marbles with those funds. And so I think the risk was starting to get to him a little bit, and he had this amazing light bulb moment where he remembered that, you know, my family has this tab down at the store, and I probably could just go straight to the store and put that, that bag of marbles on the tab, and, and so that's what he started doing next. And, and so, man, things were going great, but he was still, you know, losing marbles, and, and uh, you know, but, but he just continued on. He was trying to get better, and probably he was getting better. But um, one day, him and his, his buddy that has been, he's been playing were, there beside the road where they like to play, and my dad was looking intently down at the game that they were playing, and he heard a car go by on the road, come and pull up real slowly. And then that car stopped right where they were playing on the road. As my dad slowly raised his eyes up from the game, he made eye contact with his dad through the rolled down window of that vehicle. And of course, the famous words that we all remember uh, as kids is what Simeon Turner, my dad's father, said in a low voice, son, get in the car. Of course, my dad had no plan for it to go this far, and yet this same story is played out over and over. A lot of times, the consequence is far more grave than what happened to my father. In fact, the scripture has many such examples. Adam and Eve had no intention of being kicked out of the Garden of Eden and cursed God for, uh, and cursed by God for taking a, a bite of forbidden fruit. Sin took them farther than they wanted to go. King Saul spared the life of Agag and the best of sheep and, and, and the, the best of the goats of the Amalekites who was who he was commanded to destroy. He was proclaiming those, those good intentions to the prophet Samuel. And it probably just started with the first animal that was spared, but ended with God rejecting him as king because of his disobedience. Judas regretted his decision to betray Jesus and, and gave the blood money back, but it was no use. He couldn't undo what had already been done. And of course, I could go on with King David and King Solomon. The result of sin is not only dealing with the consequences, but the fact that sin took them further than they planned to go. 
James chapter one, verse 15 says, then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. It is a progression. And so if you have sin in your life, I have bad news for you. That sin will take you further than you want to go. The good news is, is that there is hope for you. Praise God. There is mercy if you want it. There is forgiveness if you ask for it. And as you well know, our Lord Jesus Christ is ready to wash us from our sin. Revelation 1 and 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, there is hope. And this is what North American and foreign missionaries sacrifice their careers for, sacrifice closeness to family and friends. They offer hope to a city or village or family of people who is bound in sin in a place where prior to the missionary's arrival, they may not have had an opportunity to hear about that great hope. They offer hope to the people whose sin took them further than they intended to go in a city or country God has called them to. In 2004, I was in my second year of missions work in the country of Estonia, and something unexpected happened to me. As I was leaving through customs at the airport to, sh to take a short trip back here to Atlanta, for the Christmas holidays, the lady at the customs desk stamped my passport and handed it back, and I took my passport and inspected the stamp as I like to do. I like to see those new stamps. They were kind of like, I don't know, like a collection. You know, it's a, if you've ever had a passport and you traveled a little bit, you kind of flip through that passport from time to time and look at all the different stamps, and, and so it's pretty, it's pretty cool. So I was looking at my stamp, and uh, it didn't look quite right. And uh, the more I inspected that stamp, it was bigger. And I saw some Estonian writing, but I also saw in English, it said, person to be expelled. Now, I'm sure that my eyes got big, as my kids tell me my eyes do sometimes. And I walked back to that customs lady for an explanation she wasn't planning on giving that explanation to me. But as I asked her, she let me know, you cannot return for 10 years. She said I would have to file an appeal at the Estonian consulate. My responses just seemed to die on my lips as I looked at her face and I could tell this is not the person who is gonna be able to change what has already been done. I didn't know what I was gonna do but God had plans for me to go into another country. I just didn't know it yet. And so I got on that plane that I had been excited to board, but suddenly full of sadness at a time when I would have normally been excited. However, in about six months' time, God would open the door for me to travel into a brand new country 
that did not yet have a church that preached the apostolic message. And I arrived in Vilnius, Lithuania on St. John's Day, which is kind of a coincidence. It was interesting. I, I thought it was cool. In 2004, no one was at the bus station to meet me. I didn't know anyone in the country. I walked out into the sunshine at 23 years old on the adventure of my life. I was leaning pretty heavily on the Lord to lead me, and there's a, a lot to this story that I could tell, but I'll just tell you this, that when I would find someone after I had been there for a little while, as I would find somebody to begin to share this hope with, I consistently felt how crazy it was that God loved this person so much that he would allow me to fly 7,000 miles to stand at that particular time, at that particular place, and talk to them about the hope of Jesus Christ. And you just feel that. You feel it in a different way. It hits you a little differently when you realize just how much God loves this individual. It hardly seems to make financial sense to send a missionary. Is that the most efficient way for the Lord to get the message out? Yet the command to go into all the world is clear. The apostle Paul, who seems best suited to reach the Jews, was instead sent to the Gentiles. And so sometimes God does things that just don't have the wisdom of man. It's the wisdom of God. Now missionaries feel this weight of distance to reach a soul and more when they travel to villages deep in the interior of a nation, hard to get places. The kinds of places that when you hear about those harrowing journeys on you know, cliffside roads and when you hear the stories of you know, hours of travel to go a very short distance because the roads are just so terrible and it's just a humongous effort to get into the interior of some of these nations you begin to feel something, something very strong. And so, as a missionary, it's unsettling when you visit a place that you know that you may never return because of its remoteness. You share the hope of Jesus, and as you leave, you thank the Lord that he loves these people more than you do. And you pray for those who you aren't able to stay in, in contact with and you disciple everyone that you can. Brother Calvin, Brother Jury, Brother Jacob Barker, Jonathan Seche, and more here at Atlanta West, you have been in some of these places. You have walked into places on the backside of nowhere, and, and some of you are not native to the United States, and, and, and so you know of these remote places in your native countries that you were born in. Yet the purpose of a missionary is to share the message of hope, and that purpose still marches on. Now, after the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas gave a report of their missionary efforts to the church at Antioch. In Acts chapter 14, verse 26 through 28, it says, from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work 
which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And this is what we do around here monthly and annually as we, re, as we report our missionary efforts to our donors who make it possible. And so I have a few reports of our missionaries sharing hope. For example, and I pulled this story from a few years ago, December of 2017, there was this really cool post on Facebook from Greece. Right before Christmas, there was a picture, and you can show that now, of this 99-year-old lady that was baptized in her own bathtub, 99 years old. Here's a missionary sharing the hope of Jesus, and who knows where he had to go to visit with this lady. Now, I got three short video clips for you. Is that okay? All right, let's, see, let's hear a couple stories. Go ahead. Let's start. Ministry in the Middle East and Gulf states is relational evangelism accentuated by power encounters of the Holy Ghost. There was one particular representative, and uh, they had been there for several years. They had built trusting relationships. They had shared the Word of God. They had given everything they could give, but yet there had not been breakthrough. There was a margin between what they could do and what the mission demanded. Time went by, they continued praying, until one day this particular representative received a text message from a very good friend. The local friend said, I had an amazing experience today. He said, I was driving along and I looked up into the sky in the city where I live and I saw the name of Jesus written in Arabic in the clouds over our capital city. He said, my friend, God is speaking to me. Would you please pray for me? That worker said, absolutely. Just a few short months later, after what only God could do, that young man sat on the couch of that representative's house. He said, I cannot explain all the words, but he said, Jesus, Isa, he was flesh on the outside, but he is God Almighty on the inside. That's a pretty good explanation of the oneness of God, if you ask me. God shows up when his people will go as far as they can possibly go. So the craziest story that I have, I ended up meeting this kid, Tal, and we used to go walking and talking together. And I always try to communicate my testimony, share my testimony, what God had done in my life, in an effort to try to win him. And he said, you know, yeah, I appreciate what God's done for you, if you, you know, if there even is a God. He said, but God's never done anything like that for me, so I just don't believe. And, and I told him, I said, Tal, I'm just gonna pray that God will do something incredible in your life. And I asked God to reveal himself to Tal in a way that only God could. A couple weeks later, we were in war, and Gaza was shooting missiles at Israel, and Tal goes outside. Sirens going off right outside our window, which means missiles are coming direct towards us. Tal's outside because we just got hit, and he's checking for debris, and then another series of missiles come at us. The Iron Dome shoot, shoots down five of the seven missiles. Two of them gets through and coming directly at our direction. And as Tal's looking up at him, not even able to run because they were so close, he said out of nowhere, the two missiles that are coming, one makes an abrupt right-hand turn and the other makes a abrupt left-hand turn. The one that made a right-hand turn landed in an empty parking lot. The one that made a left-hand turn ended it landing in an open field. And Tal come back and he said, 
Matt, I can't believe that happened. And I said, well, what do you think that was? He said, Matt, that was divine intervention. And he said, but Matt, that was because of you. And I told him, I said, Tal, that wasn't because of me. That was for you so that you would know that there's a God in Israel. And so Tal had went to a place where he was completely atheist and now a full-fledged believer in Almighty God. So God can do anything. Just a few years ago, uh, we were in the city of Manacapuru. It's in the Amazon. And we were having revival services there. And one service, I felt that God was going to heal a lot of people that were in that service. We called up a group of people that came uh, to the front for healing. And we saw God just do many miracles. The one miracle I will never forget was praying for this lady. She was there. She had a tumor that was very much bulging from her neck. And when we prayed the prayer of faith, that tumor disappeared uh, from her neck and she was healed. Uh, God did amazing things in that service. People that had tumors in their lungs, literally one came out and was on the floor on the altar. Uh, and it's just amazing to see what God is doing all around the nation of Brazil and in the world. Praise God. Hope. We have hope in Christ Jesus. Amen. The message of a missionary is a message of hope. And these missionaries that, that we are supporting and that we're sending out, they're delivering that message of hope wherever they can. And the good news, that message is simple. You can have hope. You can have deliverance. You can have salvation. You can have the very spirit of God living inside you. You can be forgiven for your sins and you can have eternity in heaven and you can have life more abundantly and you can have relationship with Jesus Christ. You can see that when a missionary steps off a plane, a bus, a, a train, or a boat into a new country, it's something expectant. There's a light in that person. The missionary goes to the field to work, but in addition to reaching for lost people, in, the, in, the, in a beautiful irony, the work of the missionary ends up being the building of a man or woman. Brother Miller, can I have that, please? If you want to know a little bit about that hope and, and what they've been learning, it's pretty crazy because you can get into these books that they write, and they just write them and write them one after another, just more and more and more stories of, of what God is doing, and, and you just can keep going, and, and I don't have them all. I just have a few, right? And so as we keep going, these books and these stories and these testimonies of all that God is doing, they just continue to show up as they deliver faith, as they are changed by the very message that they are preaching to the lost people around the world. And so these, these books, they, they represent an incredible legacy of what God is doing all around the world. And so if you're looking for evidence, if you're looking for proof, if you want to know what's going on, there's something very interesting happening. Every time a missionary writes a story, it's, it's this accumulation of evidential, uh, evidential equity. It's just growing and it's building and it's compounding. The more that is preached, the more that is written, the more miracles that take place, the more evidence that shows up of the work of that great hope coming to pass. Praise God. Missionaries write a lot of books and because who would believe all that they have learned and all they have seen as a result of that work? It's not a boasting of pride, but a proclamation of look what the Lord 
did through me a willing vessel. The evidence of the glory of God can be found here. These are journals of hope. Praise God. You know, hope is a real feeling that we have. There are times when it is stronger than other times. There are moments when it feels like hope is lost. A lady at work asked me this week, she said, if we get to be with the Lord when we die, why don't we all just wanna die so we can be with him? And it's a good question. And it points to her hope that there can be something better than where she is right now. That there could be something more than where she is right now. Hope to be with Jesus. It's not hard to think of a time when hope is slipping away like a missed bus driving off in the distance. If you've ever just missed a bus, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a discouraging feeling. Hope is related to time. As long as there is time, there is still hope. When time runs out, then, then that's it. Hope slips through the fingers, never to be recovered. And so when we pray tonight, and maybe you want to repent of your sins, don't delay. Come down to this altar and repent. No one knows what tomorrow holds, but today there is still time for hope. And that's why the hope of eternity with Jesus Christ is the hope of all hopes. Saying yes to Jesus is saying yes to the, to the belief in that hope. Matthew 12, 21, and his name will be the hope of all the world. Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope for whatever things. Sorry, 1 Peter 1 and 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise God. It doesn't actually take a lot of hope to get the attention of Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, verses one through 10, tremendous familiar story. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through town. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich, and he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, and so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass by that way. Zacchaeus had a thought to see Jesus, just a thought, I hope I can see him. So he ran, the Bible says. He ran ahead, and when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. 
He had gone, he has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Hope for the lost by Christ Jesus. Praise God. In 1974, missionary Don Hanscom and his family had only been in, country, in the country of Pakistan for a little over a year. They were blown away by the spiritual hunger of the people they were ministering to. An unexpected revival in primarily a Muslim nation. During crusades, hundreds would plunge into the altar area at the front of the tent to repent of their sins or for healing. So many miracles happened. And God was just doing amazing things. And it was just hard to believe. One day their son Don David was climbing a drain pipe to get on the roof because the stairs had been locked off by his parents trying to keep their child safe off the roof. One of his uh, cowboy spurs caught on a parallel gas pipe and his German friend Kostya was already on the roof and tried to hold his arm but was unable to. And Don David fell. As he fell, the left side of his head slammed into a concrete ledge above the garage, crushing the bone of his left eye. And now his body flipped and careened headfirst to a dreadful impact with the cement driveway almost 15 feet below. There's a lot to this story, but basically on the right side of his skull, it was just like an eggshell shattered on the x-ray. I'll leave out some of these details, but for the next four days, it was uncertain what was gonna happen. By the providence of God, they got the boy to the number two neurosurgeon in the country. And he explained to the parents that they needed to relieve the pressure of this brain swelling because some of that gray matter was starting to press out of his ear. The parents, of course, wanted to take him back to Canada instead of here in, in Pakistan where they were. But it seemed no possible way that that could happen in a timely way. And so the doctor performed a very drastic procedure on the skull to relieve the pressure by removing a portion of the skull. After the procedure was completed, they were put in a hospital ward with lots of other patients. I mean, there was food, leftover food on the ground underneath some of these beds, and there's there family with all these other patients. The hospital ward was, was full of people. The risk of infection, of course, very high. However, this is where they found themselves. Many, many people were praying around the world for this boy. On the fourth day, Don David started having some bad vital signs. A nurse would come by that bed every 15 minutes to take a pulse reading and to pass her hand gently over the boy's forehead and a cursory check for heightened body temperature. Earlier on the morning of the fourth day, Sandra, Don David's mother, had checked on the pulse rate noted on the chart after the nurse had departed. 
Don David's pulse had been hovering at a very rapid 170 beats per minute following the surgery. The normal pulse of a six-year-old was between 75 and 115. Sandra had earlier asked about the very high pulse rate and the ward's nurse, Susan, had told her the body is in trauma and so it should be up. And with Don David's increasingly shallow breathing, Sandra and Don became alarmed. Sandra stepped back into the aisle, scanning the ward for the closest attending nurse and a nurse was just moving away from a patient a few beds away and she said, please, we need some help right now, she called. The nurse came, and, and the head nurse, who was also in the ward, she moved rapidly down the aisle toward them, and the first nurse arrived, noticed the, the breathing, and immediately took the boy's pulse. She seemed surprised and proceeded to take another pulse reading, and now she looked up with alarm at the head nurse, Susan. Don David's pulse had plummeted to just 60. A few moments later, Susan stepped closer and picked up Don David's limped hand and wrist, and she could feel no pulse. She placed her fingers on the side of his neck to check the jugular vein, no pulse. The attention of many family members at other bedsides up and down the central aisle began to shift toward the foreigners. Other nurses were now moving toward the Hanscom son. The head nurse Susan stepped to the aisle and called to the nurse closest to the door, find the doctor. The nurse hesitated, trying to remember where she had last seen the doctor on duty. Quickly, Susan said, raising her voice. Sandra, Don David's mother, was frantic. She stood beside the head nurse when the nurse near the entrance of the ward had hesitated and Sandra lost control and screamed, get the doctor! Instantly, the nurse was out the door, but Sandra, turning back to look at her son, realized it was already too late. Don David's chest was not moving. Now every eye in that overcrowded ward was turned toward them. At least half a dozen nurses had gathered around the bed some apostolic ladies who had arrived earlier to assist any way they could were hovering nearby. They were crying and praying in desperation. And the father, Don, was kneeling near the head of the bed, praying, his eyes clouding, searching frantically for any movement, any signs of life on the face of his now motionless son. It was too much. In despair, Don David's mom moved away from the bed, her eyes blinded by tears. Can't stand to see my boy die, she moaned. As she pushed away from the outstretched hands of some nearby nurses, she rushed toward the doorway where the weeping ladies from the church embraced her arms of compassion and love. Don David lay perfectly still. There was no pulse, no breath. In desperation, his father placed his arms under the body and cradled him as he knelt by the bedside. This could not be happening. In the 16 months they had been in Pakistan, they had been engulfed by an almost continual Book of Acts revival. They had grown to expect miracles that few in North America had ever seen. That his boy should die in front of him seemed to be a terrible contradiction to the gift of faith that the Lord had allowed him to operate in so, so frequently for many months now. Where is the God of Elijah? His soul seemed to scream. The hospital ward was filled with people and they were all looking toward the bedside of the foreigners where nearly every ward nurse on duty had now gathered. And suddenly the cry of a desperate missionary father silenced everyone. Don Hanscom was oblivious to all those looking at him. His son had no breath, but he did. And he bellowed this petition to heaven. Jesus, I know that you can do this. I've seen so many miracles, and now it's my turn. I need a miracle now. 
Let my boy live. He pulled the motionless body of his son close to him, and as he did, he felt the fingers of a man's hand tapping on his shoulder, and he looked up to see a middle-aged Pakistani man dressed in typical gray pantaloons, a, a long, lightweight outer coat and gray reaching to the knees, gray vest reaching to the knees and a heavier winter vest. His expression was kind but commanding. He said in Urdu, God has sent me to pray for your son. He did not introduce himself or say anything more. He simply reached over and placed his hand on Don David and prayed in Urdu. When he finished his short prayer, he stepped back, and at that moment, Don David opened his eyes and smiled. And then he spoke, Daddy, I'm sorry for playing on the roof. And that's when mildly delirious pandemonium began. Missionary Don David said that after this, there was a shift in his ministry as his faith was stretched to new levels. After God raised his son up, he couldn't help but believe for greater and greater things. As Paul wrote, Christ in him, the hope of glory. Let's all stand. Missionaries are out working and endeavoring to share hope with lost. And as we reach out to our own worlds, it might help us to remember that the message we carry this message of salvation from hell and sin, it's a message of hope. Back to our text, Colossians 1, 27 and 28, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, in, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. It's been a year since God opened the door for me to start praying in the mornings with my colleagues at work. And God has openly answered prayers that have been requested in those meetings. It's, it's been kind of amazing. Two sisters that work together um, had a third sister who had two teenage sons, and these teenage, I'm sorry, two teenage children that were in a terrible car accident, the spe a special needs son and a daughter who was driving. The daughter was so broken in this accident that it seemed certain that she wouldn't make it, and she was in a coma for a long while. We prayed one morning after, we prayed morning after morning for that family, and suddenly one day she woke up. And then, mentally, they didn't know if she was even there anymore. But as we continued to pray, and as her family was praying, she started to respond again. Incredibly, the daughter is home now, and still in a process of recovery, but it was evident that God intervened. A grandmother of one of my coworkers' husbands had a stroke and was really struggling with the effects that it had had on her, and it was impacting the family that were involved because of the care required for her. The grandmother then had a fall a, a, a little over a week ago and she fractured her back and, and it just seemed like things were getting worse and worse. And we continued praying and I received a text in our work group, uh, work group text day before yesterday. It said, update on this lady. 
doing the best she's done since her accident exactly a week ago. A lot of progress even since yesterday. Praise God. And I wrote back and I said, that's wonderful. That's an answer to prayer. And what I loved was her response. And she said, that's the first thought that came to my mind. I spoke to, uh, to the granddaughter-in-law of this lady later that day, and she told me more good news, that the doctors had discovered a change in, in medication that had a huge impact on her mental acuity. And there are more stories from this, and it's still unfolding, but I know this is a, a simple and straightforward message, but we offer hope. Do we not? Many people, of course, they, they just can't see it, or they don't want to see it, or, and, and, and there's some spiritual blindness, but as we keep offering, God is working on them as well, and, and someone can start to see and start to believe. And now suddenly the feeling of the love of God for a specific person that a missionary has when they have traveled many, many miles to speak to people is felt right where you work, where you get gas, where you live, where you say to yourself, God loves this person so much that he placed me here at this moment for this time. And you realize that God is offering hope specifically through you. And I close with this verse, Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in us, poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The English Standard Version says, and hope does not put us to shame. Our hope in Christ Jesus does not disappoint. It doesn't leave us hanging. And for a person who is bound by the bondage of sin, we offer hope. Praise God. If we could come and gather at the front tonight, we're gonna come together and we're gonna pray. And we're gonna pray for our missionaries that are out there working. And we're gonna pray that the Lord will open even more doors for us to share the hope of Jesus Christ. We might sometimes wonder if anyone is even listening anymore, if any of our coworkers even wanna hear it anymore. We might, not, we might think, man, they already kinda have their own version of faith and they may not wanna hear it. But we cannot give up on reaching people with the hope of Jesus Christ. And so we need to continue to pray tonight that the scales of the enemy would fall off the eyes of those we are endeavoring to reach and pray that the Lord would help to connect with hungry hearts. And if you need to repent tonight, there's a place for you to do that and come and pray with all your heart and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you. Declare that you will turn from your sins and follow him tonight. Praise God.